Hey guys, Bear here from AGM. Wow, wow, wow. In this episode, I have my good friend Nelson share, you know, how a CFO's perspective can impact your business. He goes deep, guys. You guys are going to really love this, especially if you thinking about having a CFO for your business or even hire an outsource CFO as your business grow past the six, seven, eight figure mark. Check out this episode and enjoy. Welcome to Small Biz Tips with My Connections with your host, Julbert Abraham, where he invites successful six-figure or seven-figure entrepreneurs on the show to share their journey, their failure, their lessons and tips that can help and inspire up-and-coming entrepreneurs. Hello, everyone. This is Joubert Abraham. Welcome to Small Biz Tips. I am here with my good friend, Nelson. How are you, sir? Great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to jump on. Really appreciate that. So tell us more about you and your business. I'm pretty excited about this because you have an amazing story. So, Sure. So the short version we'll start with, and I'm sure we'll get into more details as the conversation goes along. Mm-hmm. I am the co-founder and managing partner of Pro CFO Partners, where I lead a team of more than 25 CFOs and provide mm-hmm. part-time CFO services, mainly for companies who don't need, don't want, or can't afford a full-time CFO. What we mm-hmm. have seen in our experience is that most companies simply don't need a full-time CFO, and we feel somewhat qualified in making that statement as both myself and every member of my team have been an actual CFO before. Wow. So that that whole sentence i got like 10 different questions but i'm gonna start with one sure wait how'd you get in the cfo space in the first place you know you were a cfo and what like tweak and said you know i want to start pro cfo what what happened (laughs) sure so back when i used to work for a living which is how i jokingly refer to when i was a (laughs) full-time cfo with a company a friend of mine reached out to me and said a friend of his was having some trouble with his company. Can I have a conversation and see if I can give him some advice, see if I can give him some help? Mm-hmm. And I'm, my thought was, sure, help out a friend of a friend, happy to. And of course, that conversation turned into a year-long interim CFO role. Wow. That I actually juggled with my full-time role. It was a very, very busy year. <laughs> but what I found by doing that was it is so much more impactful And what I was able to do for this company was so much greater than what I was doing in my previous role. The things that were almost day-to-day in the previous role was like magic to this company. It's like, wow, we can do this. I was like, yes, we need to, because this is what we're trying to do. And I was really excited about this and wanted to help more companies like this. So Mm. I actually went and converted my full-time role into a part-time one. Wow. And then started started doing this on my own, taking on more clients as a part-time CFO. And I did it on my own for a number of years and realized there are a lot of challenges when you do it on your own. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at ways to do this bigger and better at scale, which led to the eventual evolution and starting of Pro CFO Partners. So uh, I want to get to that part at scale, but before I get there, you know, you mentioned in your introduction, some companies don't need a full-time CFO. Can you first talk about what is a CFO's role? How's that different from a CPA? How's that different from a bookkeeper? And also, when do companies need to start looking at even having a part-time CFO? Sure. So let's break down just first the different functions of the, of the finance and accounting role. That's probably mm-hmm. a simple one and probably very relevant to many different types of companies. There's an operational component to the finance and accounting function, and there is a strategic component, component mm-hmm. as well as there's a compliance component. So. Mm-hmm. 
on, an, on a day-to-day basis, there's obviously record keeping that must happen. Right? You, need to, you need to bill your employees, you need to bill your yep. clients, you need to collect money from your clients, you need to record this. Yep. So you can, you can pay taxes on it or figure out ways not to pay taxes on it, but that's a separate conversation for your accountant. Um, that needs to happen. Now, really small companies, that's just a bookkeeping function. Yeah. As companies grow, that will get split off into AP, AR, or other t- billing and all the other fun stuff. And that's that account payable, account receivable. Gotcha. That's correct. And and usually, as companies grow, what that function evolves into is some type of managerial person overseeing that. Now, that person's title can be controller, VP of finance, senior. You know, we've seen a bunch of different titles that get put in there. Some interchangeably, some not, or should or shouldn't yeah. be interchanged. But that controller function and bookkeeping function very often is an operational one that informs on how the company is doing. This is what happened with the company. Mm-hmm. Now, at the CFO level, that conversation turns into, okay, but where are we trying to take the company and how are we going to do it? Mm. So we become not just the operator or the steward of the company, but the catalyst and the strategist and actually driving the growth of the company. For instance, you know, Starting off the conversation, I can give this one as a story because this came up in a recent conversation when talking to a business owner and he tells mm-hmm. me, my controller, she's the one who tells me the KPIs of the company, the key performance indicators. Yeah. And I said, great. She's the one who tells you what they were for the last period. Yes. And I said, good. Does she tell you what they should be? Mm. And I asked that question to really highlight the difference from a controller's perspective to a CFO's perspective. Wow. It's not just about you know, what are we reporting on? But from a CFO's perspective, it's why are we measuring these things? What is that measuring towards? What is that goal that we're setting? Mm -hmm. What is that metric we're defining that says this is what we're measuring it towards? Because then we can come up with a strategy of how we're actually going to go ahead and do it. So we said, okay, this is the goal we set for the company. From the CFO's perspective, it's okay, great. What do we need to build to actually go do that from the finance and accounting function? Does that mean more sales? Does that mean greater profitability, better cash flow? Or now the accountant's function, and we do not replace an accountant in any way, shape, or form. They're the ones who obviously get very much involved in the tax and the compliance side of things, mm-hmm. what you need to report and when. Now, it is important that you work with the right one because they have a incredible impact on the company, working with the right ones, just as working mm-hmm. with the wrong ones, unfortunately, is very damaging for many companies. Wow, wow, wow. This is huge. Now, the second part of that question is, when do an when owner... do you need a part a CFO? When do you need that perspective? That is a fascinating question because the truth is there is no official rubric for what that looks like. Gotcha. When, because we work with companies with four employees, we work with companies with four hundred employees. We work mm-hmm. with companies that are pre-revenue. When we with work with companies that are a few hundred million in revenue, and the answer is. It's when the business owner is no, you know, starts struggling with the, a lot of the issues that this function that we just described that that solves. For instance, uh, we get called in when cash flow becomes an issue. Now, cash flow is really a symptom in and of itself. It's not the problem; it's the symptom. But when you start having the symptom of cash flow issues, we start looking at why that is. For instance, you know, at its most basic, cash flow problems is only one of two areas: either too much going come, too much going out, or not enough coming in. Yeah. But we will help them, you know, from that perspective. When you think about what that looks like from the strategic side, is okay. Are fixed costs too high? Are variable costs not being captured by pricing? Are customer terms too lenient? Are you not taking advantage of supplier terms? A business owner will look at that as I have a cash flow problem. They're not going to necessarily break down into the different components of what could be causing that cash flow problem. Mm. That's when you start looking for outside help. Profitability. Where should it be? 
Mm. Again, many business owners are coming from having delivered their product or service, which they're really, really good at. Yeah. But when it starts coming into building a strategic finance and accounting function, that's when they start should start looking for help. So I wish I can give you and your audience a simple answer as nah, when this is, happens, this that's is when really you do it. Good, man. <laughs> no, because but you the, talk about yeah, this is huge. You talk about the profit and cash flow, right? Which is two big problems every business owner has had. It is. And as they grow the systems and processes that inform those, you know, that becomes even a more foundational component, the financial operations, how certain things get captured. What does that process look like? How do you close the month? How do you post information to, to your general ledger, whatever it is that is the how and who's involved in that process, obviously it gets more complex, the larger a company grows. But when you're building it at the smaller scale, that's when you start needing to putting those. It's a lot easier to put these things in place correctly when you're smaller than when you're larger. Wow. I love it. So I guess a follow-up question, you said it's a lot easier to put it when you're smaller than when you're larger. What would you consider as smaller to start putting this in place when you have 10 employees doing a million plus in revenue or when you have 20 or 30 employees doing maybe 5 million plus in revenue? When the short answer and the perhaps the more relevant one, when you start feeling the pain of not having it in place. (laughs) (laughs) And that'll show up in different areas of the company. You know, so we'll see, you'll see it in the symptoms, right? You know, where you can't get financing from your bank because the financials you're showing them aren't good enough for them to approve it. Well, why aren't they good enough? What do your financial operations look like? Or when you're trying to, to plan what is happening next for your company and you don't have any base case scenario to build that off of, or you're trying to figure out what your target should be or what you should be measuring and you don't have enough information to give you the insight you need to. That's yeah. when the conversation begins. Unfortunately, it's not just a number metric. Wow, that's huge. Now, let's talk about your business because you built something, 25 CFO, extremely fast, in my opinion, right? So tell us more about that story. How'd you, you know, how'd you do that? How'd you get to have that many CFOs so fast within your organization? What was that trigger process where you said, okay, this year I'm only going to focus on growth? And we're just going to get in front of and hire a bunch of people. Kind of walk me through that process. Sure. So, you know, this was a very, very quick process. It was. The growth has been pretty incredible. And we have some pretty aggressive growth plans for the years to come as well. And a lot of it really is defined by where we started seeing where the need in the marketplace was for what Mm. we were doing. You know, and it comes back to that original statement. If most companies don't need a full-time CFO. Yeah then they need a part-time CFO. Like that's the flip side to that equation. And so then it became, okay, most people in this space or a lot of CFOs come from doing it on their own. Like I used to, I know all the challenges of doing it on my own. So about half of my team that grew with us came from doing it on their own first. Ah, gotcha. So it's an easier conversation for me to have with someone like that because I lived that. I know yeah. the problems of that. Yeah, yeah. And about half of my team came directly from corporate who are looking for a change, who are looking to do it this way. They want to have this impact. Gotcha. Now, we have people on our team who ran some of the largest organizations in the world, as well as some people who spent their entire career in the entrepreneurial space. So nice. the length and breadth of the experience in doing this as a team is a very big driver towards attracting the right people. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. I, I love the fact that because you've gone through it, it's easier for you to communicate that to them. Now, I would, I guess my, my next thought process is someone who is doing this on their own and they're, okay, these are my challenges and this guy is offering me this, you know, what, like, 
I'm wondering what goes into some of their mind and say, okay, why don't I just do what he did instead of coming and partnering with you? For starters, we have developed, you know, there's an aspect to what we do, which is truly unique to us, which is not replicate, replicatable, if that's the correct word. And that is, we have developed our own IP, our own wow. intellectual property around the gotcha. process of what we do, how this all fits together and what we do. Gotcha. Because you ask 10 different people what a CFO does, including CFOs, you will get 10 answers. different answers. And I know because I've actually done that numerous <laughs> times. And so we want, we built a process to define, okay, this is what this looks like in coming together. Mm -hmm. And that's how, that's what we offer to everyone who does join our team. In addition, if you're, if you're looking at your options, okay, I can join a team of 25 people where I have all of this experience at my fingertips, yeah. or I can try and do it on my own to build my own team. Yeah. <laughs> because what we offer them, you know, we, we have one of the largest you know, contributions of what we'll offer them in doing this. So many of them, it's a lot easier for them to do this. And frankly, a lot more financially sound to do this than to go and try and build it on their own. And we structure it like that accordingly, because nice. I'm used to being on the other side of the table. So I yeah. know what they're looking for. So that's awesome. Uh, I guess my next question is, what, when, when you scaled that, right, what were some of those growing pains? What were some of those challenges that you had to deal with? Uh, <laughs> well, th this is probably true of almost every business owner, and that is making sure you're bringing on the right people and only mm. the right people. The fact that I wanted to grow and my goal last year was to be 22 people and we hit 25. The fact that I wanted to grow at 22, but my mm. partner and I, we set very strict standards and a process for who we were bringing on, mm. how we were going to measure that, and what the process of onboarding was going to be. Wow. <laughs> so uh, let's take a little bit deeper. There's a lot of entrepreneurs who's looking to hire and you guys seems to, to kind of master bringing in the right people. Can you share a little bit, not, not don't give the whole, you know, but what, what's that process look like when you guys are hiring or you, is it, re, you know, putting out an ad on LinkedIn and then interviewing so people? The, there's some of it, of course, we do advertising. There's also a lot in our network we'll reach out to, you know, gotcha. for, for different things like that. The people who we know would interact with people who might be interested in something like this. Uh -huh. But when it comes to defining that first phase, you know, the most important part is the fit and the alignment, at least for uh -huh. what we do at the level we do it, the fit and alignment. The skills, that's just the floor to start the conversation. Gotcha. Well, we'll, we'll define whether they're continue through that process is the fit and alignment fit with us and our culture and what we're yeah. doing and alignment of goals that we understand. This is what we're trying to build. Is that what yeah. you want to do? If not, yeah. great. Yeah. I'm not, and then again, the advantage of, for us in our position, for those who weren't a fit, I was still able to help them with other things as well. Just because yeah. they weren't a fit for me, doesn't mean yeah. I wasn't able to help them find or do something else next. No, this is fantastic. Now, I guess my next question around that is, you know, you know, the fit and the alignment, right? Uh, how many interview process was it? Was it like a two, three, four interview steps? To so kind of it was, it, it's like anywhere from three to five steps in hours. Gotcha. So there's an initial conversation. Mm -hmm. Then there's learning more about the model, who we are and how we work on a day-to-day -day basis. Does that fit mm -hmm. in mind with what you have? In addition to that, then it goes into the conversations with me and or my business partner. And we also do personality profiling, mm. not as a means of saying yes or no, but for us to get a better understanding of the person to see if that's the fit. Gotcha. We have every personality type on our team. So there's no personality type, which is like, no, I can't work with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From our perspective, it's okay. Does this fit with what we're trying to do? And how can we help this person be more successful on our team? I like that. I like that. This is fantastic.
Now, um, what would you say, in addition to building such a big team on the client side, what would you say was one of your biggest wins um, this past year? So thankfully, we actually have quite a bit we can point to. We have, are, have been very happy with how many clients we've been able to help, especially through the last year of what 2020 brought to everybody. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say among the biggest ones, and I hate using the word pivot. So we've, we've chosen to use very often the word prosper versus pivot. I love that. We've Pros helped prosper many... sounds so much better. <laughs> it does. So we helped many companies look at it that way is okay. Let's go back to basics and let's really attack your revenue model. So you're, for instance, if this company which used to deliver this type of product or service to these customers, mm -hmm. are they a, that industry specific delivery model or are they a distribution company? Mm. And helping them rethink that conversation allowed them to replace a lot of the revenue they lost because that particular industry didn't need them. Oh, wow. But then they said, okay, well, we're not specific to that industry. We're just a distribution. So who else can we do distribution for? It's the, the change, the shift of mindset on, okay, what exactly do we do? And this and is that, a huge lesson right now for a lot of businesses, you know, through this time is, are you looking at your revenue model and are you pigeonhole yourself in one specific industry? And now that industry is no longer working. Have you thought about other ways that you can position yourself to, to drive more revenue? That's awesome. Absolutely. So, so we think of it as either, you know, you have to go back to what your offering is. What's the problem you're really solving for in that marketplace? What is your solution? Yeah. The fact that you've done it for a solution, for a category, for a product, for a service in the past, doesn't mean that that's what your solution is. That's just the way yeah. you've delivered it. That was your customer channels previously. Are there other customer channels who need the same thing? Nice. So I guess my next question for you is with everything that you've been doing, what do you value the most about what you do? What do I value the most about what we do? Yeah. I think the mo one of, I'll interpret that as what we do, I guess, as, as being the most valuable for our clients. I'm not sure that's what the question was, but that's how I'll interpret it. That's fine. <laughs> and a lot of it comes down to the strategic element of what we do. Mm. Because defining that goal, what it is we're actually working towards, is among the most important parts and among the most foundational parts. Because when you talk to a business owner and you ask him what his goal is, and he says, you want to grow. That's yeah. obviously not a goal. Yeah, that's a very, I, I like the mindset and it's an important mindset, but that's not a goal. No, so we need to identify, <laughs> exactly. So we need to A, identify what the real goal is, but then also come up with a metric, come up with a measurable target that says that. Yeah. Very often we work backwards as to say, okay, if this is where we want to be in five, where do we want to be in three? Where do we want to be in one? Great, then what means, what do we need to do next quarter? And that's how we translate the goal we identified as a big theory for yeah. five years into an action plan for next week. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what would you say is, you know, to kind of wrap things up, what is one tip that you would like to share with any business owners um, that can help them expand their business or really just start thinking a little bit differently in our current time? So it is a little bit about the statement that I just made about being specific about the goals. That's kind yeah. of where, where and why I led with that one. Getting very specific with what your goal is. And your goal is not a number. A number mm. is how you measure how well you achieved your goal mm. or your progress towards wow, the goal. Wow, I love this. But the goal is not the number. The goal is not the number. It's just the measurement on how you get to that goal. 
So you can think of your measurement as, for instance, of let's say some, you know, someone who has big audacious goals, right? They want to be a $50 million business in five years, regardless yeah. of where they are now or how it, you know, it's got to be achievable and actually something you can do. It can't just be a pie in the sky type. <laughs> but the goal, if you think about it, is not to be a $50 million business. It's in his mind or her mind, it's to be what that represents. Does that mean a lifestyle for you? Does that mean a legacy for your children? Wow. Does that mean, you know, that's what the goal really is. They're wow. just defining it by a number. So getting very specific on really what the goal is, what they're trying to build towards, allows them to come up with the actual plan that will help them achieve that. Wow. I No one never spoken about goals the way you just did. That is fantastic. Because we normally put a number, 10 million in revenue, 100 million in revenue. But we don't think about, okay, what's that lifestyle goal or, <laughs> or that and, legacy and, and, goal? And to that point, the problem with doing just the numbers is usually the planning goes something along the lines of, great, last year we did this X million in revenue or this amount in revenue. This year we're going to do this plus this percentage in revenue. That's the planning that many companies yeah. go through. And that's just not good enough, which is why our focus has shifted to this is how we plan. In many ways, we have to come up with that goal so we can come up with a number and work backwards to what that will mean for you next year. Not say this amount is going to be this next year plus this percentage, because that is no plan in place to just go do that. That's just, okay, continue doing what we've done. Wow. So really how to examine their goal in a different perspective. <laughs> I love it. So uh, to, to wrap things up, this was so much value. Uh, how do people get in touch with you if they want your services or your team to help them with their business? Sure. You can check out our website, uh, www.procfopartners.com. We have a lot of information on our website around different topics of the finance and accounting function or different industry specifics, blogs and podcasts around a lot of that information. Please feel free to check any of it out or reach out to us. Um, my email address and cell phone will pass around, I guess, with the buy yes, information. It's going to be in the short but... Yeah. This was awesome. Nelson, thank you for your time. This was amazing. I learned so much. I'm sure the audience learned a lot. And uh, thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Tips. For more, subscribe to our YouTube channel and connect on LinkedIn and Instagram at Jeff Abe Online. And check out our website at www.abrahamglobal.com.